You're listening to the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. Welcome to episode 20 of the Versus Node podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Zotto, Editor-in-Chief of GamerNode.com, and I am joined today by Managing Editor, Dan Crabtree. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing good. How about you? Good. You know, I was in the middle of my introduction for you. I was thinking, wow, this would have been so much better if I lined it up like, and in this corner. Well, that's <laughs> how most people introduce me, so I'm, yeah, I'm a little offended. <laughs> but yeah, no. I failed, I failed. But uh, you know what, though? I'm way more pumped about our other guest... On the podcast. Yes. There he is. Maybe you can give him a a worthy introduction. No, no, no. Okay. Well, it's it's Greg. His name's Greg. (laughs) Greg Galetta. Also (laughs) writes a gamer node. And this is actually Greg's first time on the podcast. Yes. Which is really big news. Yeah. First time time being here with you guys. Excited about it. This is a milestone. He wrote it in his diary. I did. I, I uh, actually I live blogged about it. I um, this is a monumental day in my in my life. <laughs> awesome. Well, see, the great thing now is that when people Google your name, they'll find out all of the awful things that you said. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So any any uh, future job prospects are now yeah. now forfeit. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. But actually, speaking of milestones, uh, gamer node is actually celebrating a little bit because we are a brand new website now. Uh, everything has been redesigned from the ground up, and the site looks amazing. And I'm sure you guys can uh, add to that, too. What oh, do you guys my goodness. It's incredible. Here's, yes. And here's the thing that nobody else is going to know, but it's way easier to post stuff, too. So it it, it's so that I can post, like, twice as much. It's how right, I yeah. So I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to be twice as lazy <laughs> instead, but I could post twice as much if I weren't. It just looks like a whole new site. doesn't even look the same anymore. I, I think it's a lot cleaner and a lot easier to get to and access and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, everything that we worked on were changes for the better to make getting all the information out of the site a lot easier and in any way that you want to get your gaming information. So if you haven't seen GamerNode and you're just listening on iTunes, you should probably check it out, GamerNode.com. Hit us up. And uh, also with the new design comes a lot of new philosophy and how we're going to approach games and, and what we write about video games. And that's kind of the focus of this podcast. So one specific thing that we're aiming to change is the way that we look at reviews. Basically, we're aiming for more thoughtful, meaningful, sort of experiential reviews, you know, where we take something that speaks to us about the game and develop that and essentially make the reader feel what it feels like to play the game and feel what we took away from the game after the experience was over. And also what maybe what the game means or represents in the larger scope of gaming as a whole. I know that Dan has uh, really been on board with me on making this yep. change. So Dan, coming from the standard of what game reviews are or what they have been, 
how do you feel about the new direction and and uh, what what do you have to add to that? Well, I'm I'm a big supporter, obviously, but um, I don't know the the kind of reviews that we were writing. It's and it's not that they were bad reviews, but they're they're a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. They're at all the major outlets. They're at the smaller sites. You know, you, you can get that sort of content really anywhere. But then you read a, some more unique sites, so especially the the kind that really take the time to edit and, and think through, and they're doing something really imaginative and, and a little bit academic, and it's easy to look at that sort of thing and be like, oh, a bunch of goddamn hipsters, like, they've <laughs> really just taken this idea of gaming too far, but I think what Eddie was saying is really is really the core of it, is that it's not so much we want to be a buying guide, we, we want to tell you, this game has X hours and 5,000 spiders plus three harpies, and like... Th- you can figure you can find that out in playing the game. You can find that out really at any other website with a review. What what you want to know is something unique. You want to know how did that person come to that game? What did it do to them or for them? As the medium itself is maturing, as the industry is maturing, our site is sort of catching up right behind it. We're trying to say that games aren't as uh maybe pedantic or or juvenile as sort of the social concept paints them as. Uh, that there's actually like really interesting intellectual material behind that. I know when I was when I write reviews for the site, I, I used to do the whole format of let's talk about the story for a little bit, let's talk about the gameplay for a little bit, let's talk about you know multiplayer and whatever aspects. And I, I basically had like a checklist um, I would try to do and try to hit each of the the main things, and uh, you know so people got an idea. And I think this new way of doing it is just more about like the thematic elements behind the game, what make a game, what makes a game like really work and why we play them. What is the initial thing? I mean, yeah, everybody everybody can say I play a game for multiplayer, but there's something more to it than that. And that's kind of what I try to go for from now on. Try to go to like the heart of the game more so than that, a different angle, something you wouldn't normally see with a game review, something maybe, you know, you wouldn't, think when you were playing the game and that's kind of that's that's what i've read reviews for like what can this person who's writing in this review what can they show me about this game that i maybe would not have thought of i mean anybody can say uh you know it has so many so many hours to play and it uh the story is this and that i mean you know that that can get boring after a while and very repetitive and i think to your point about oh you know here's here's something in a game that i hadn't seen before I think the best reviews are the kind that are like observational comedy. They're able to point out something that you actually did know. You just didn't know you knew. Right. Uh, yeah. For example, uh, and this this actually wasn't a review, but it was, uh, it was sort of like a preview review. Uh, I think it was on Kill Screen. It was somewhere that someone had done for Skyrim, and they went around and they documented all of the different food that you would eat in Skyrim. And it was sort of this this very succinct way of saying like look how tedious this game can get. <laughs> and and when you play that game, you get that you get that sense, right? You like you're around in a dungeon and you see like l- loaf of bread, like lamb shank and and you don't do anything with that, but that's like a second of your life that you just spent processing the information I am seeing a virtual lamb shank. And and I think that was just a really cool succinct way of doing it. So 
I, I think that the the good reviews the, and the reviews that certainly we're going for are the kind that point out something that you actually already knew about a game, but you just weren't able to put it into words. Right. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you're really entrenched in the gaming industry and, more specifically, games journalism and critique, then you'll notice that there are a lot of people saying a lot of things about how video games journalism, there's something wrong with it. You know, if you're on Twitter or if you're in the comments of articles, there are people complaining about games journalism, and there's almost a a lack of specificity in their complaints, uh, especially in comment sections of of reviews that are are not received well. And people tend to agree uh, that everything's wrong with it, but what... You know, besides the general format, what specifically are we seeing wrong with games journalism? I know that, Greg, you, you recently wrote a feature for GamerNode about the reception to Drake's deception, which, which we call, <laughs> informally, we call this article uh, top-charted Drake's reception. <laughs> so um, what, what were you talking about there that you saw in, and that you may have seen surrounding other big titles um, well, basically, okay. When I when I first got Uncharted, actually, uh, the day before, I, no, I'm sorry, it came out. The review started coming out a week before. That's right. The uh, embargo was lifted, I guess, like a week before the game came out, which was brilliant on Audi Dog's part because for that entire week, I was like sweating, uh, needing that game, and I kept reading review after review after review, and everyone was giving it, you know, nine, nine point five, ten, and. They were saying how there's so many things in this game that are just that blow the second one out of you know out of the water, and I was I was actually really surprised by that because I thought the second one was a damn near perfect game. Um, so after reading all that, I finally got it and I I played through it and I was just really unimpressed. Um, I mean, it was a, it's a great game, a lot of fun to play through. You're gonna you know you, it's not like Naughty Dog doesn't make fun games. It's just that. There was such a love fest for it, is how I put it uh, when I was talking to you guys about it, and it's it's surprising to me because it really is just like about marketability, and I don't understand. I guess I don't see why you would sell a review for something you know that anybody else could have written. Yeah, like what what are the reviewers missing about these games? And I mean, not just specifically about Uncharted. Uh, Drake's deception. I mean, in general, do you see this in other reviews, and like, what specifically are they missing out on? I guess they're missing out on, on something uh, unique. What makes your review worth reading? Why would why would I go to your site, and why would I read your review? If you're just going to tell me, you know, if you're going to spend 700 words telling me how it's like the greatest game ever, then I'm not going to read it. And I think that's one of the big problems with game reviews today is that. Most gamers don't read reviews. They just go down to the bottom of this page and look at the number that's attached. And I think it's because it's like a marketing guide. It's like, okay, what points of this game are worth pointing in here to make people want to go buy it or maybe not go buy it? And, like, for example, uh, the whole thing that really sparked my interest more was the, uh, the whole debacle with Gears of War 3 and uh, Eurogamer. Eurogamer gave the game an 8 out of 10, and Cliff Blazinski from Epic Games, he was being interviewed, and he, you know, he, he, was, he made a comment saying that Eurogamers is a bunch of haters, and 
because they gave the game an 8 out of 10. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I feel like that's also sort of the issue of the, uh, I don't know, what do we want to call it? The sliding scale, review scale, the uh, top-weighted review scale. That yeah, is, the, the you heavily know, skewed distribution of scores. Right, which right. I think at this point it's well enough known that it's just a really not fully utilized scale that it... I'm not. I'm not saying it's incorrect, um, but I'm saying we can adjust to it. Like, I, I get that. Like, an eight out of ten is actually like a six or a five, right? Or what that should be, presumably. Right. Um, right. But Depending like, if, if everyone talking. knows that that's what it means, then does it really matter? Yeah. Well, I, no, I don't. I don't think. I guess if you, you're right, but, but I guess should it be that? I think I see. Be? I th- I don't think it should be. I think I mean you know today if a game gets like an eight out of a ten or an eight point five or God forbid a seven uh, for big games I-, I would say more so than because like if if you know if like a JRPG that no one's ever heard of got an eight out of ten then that's like a big thing for a small developer but for big developers for big names if they get like an eight out of ten then it's it's not good it shouldn't be that way because we are so focused on what the Metacritic score, what this is, you know, what this score is, what that score is, that it's become a competition to see who can get, like, the first 9 out of 10 or something like that. Well, and, you know, what's strange about that is that there's a legitimate reason for it. Um, There are people that are truly um, paid and fired by the Metacritic review score. Um, I know... That that it's one of those things that a lot of publishers and developers have really tried to keep it keep it on the DL. But I I want to say it came out that um, some some developers from EA ended up getting fired because their Metacritic score for their game was too low, or the you know the the uh, development shop itself was just shut down. So right. I mean when you're talking about people's actual jobs or livelihoods, you know not that they won't find something else, but and like that's that's serious, right? Not that, and then that puts a little bit of pressure on the reviewers, especially if they know the developers, right? Right. So, right. oh man, now so, am I supposed to be honest, or am I supposed to help my friend or help this person that I know and respect uh, keep their job? And and I think the obvious answer is you're just supposed to be honest. There's really nothing else you right. can do, but. But we have to maintain a sense of integrity and pride in our work as well. And it's unfortunate that the industry is set up this way, but that's something that should be changed from the production end rather than the critical end. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, Eddie, you were talking about uh, folks who were dogging on game games journalism in general. Um, and I think a lot of game journalism people who are really steeped in the culture are like, this doesn't make any sense. How can you, how can you think that, you know, our sliding scale isn't a product of our relationships with developers and publishers and the fact that we're trying to get review copies or, you know, that's, that's one of the issues. How can you think that, um, you know, early access exclusives for game informer aren't affecting the rest of us in the industry? Uh, you know, so we're we're all like really inside this culture, and then everyone else is just sort of looking at like, hey, I'd like to learn about the game and play it. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really want to hear you bitch about right. you know right. how much the PR people didn't call you back every five minutes or what yeah you know, so right when I, it comes I, down to it isn't it about how a game makes you feel does it make you happy yeah or, or does it yeah. does it give yeah. you something does the does right. this gameplay experience enhance your being in some way I mean, yeah. which which can come back to representation in scores as well. I mean, that's what I've tried to do with GamerNode is use emotional representation to express how a game makes you feel. And that's we, we actually started doing that before shifting our review voice. But these are things that, that we want to do for the reader and that you don't see happening maybe uh, throughout. Right. Yep. You know, in in moving in this direction, it's we're we're trying to say, hey, let's let's get away from the idea of this game is good or bad, um, which I think in a lot of ways that's what the score is. Uh, you're just saying how good is it or how bad is it. Um, even even though I, you know, we're going to continue doing scores, but there's there's so much more of a, a qualitative um, argument to be made. And I mean, you look at other forms of journalism. Even just for other media like movies and, and television, and I think at some point they realized that the level of the discourse has to change. That that you can't stay at a PR business level forever. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And that's that's kind of what I was trying to get at earlier. With, you know, um, it shines light on things. You know, like as we were saying that maybe you noticed but you just didn't really uh, think about on on a higher level. I think we should. You know, be like a spotlight and be like, hey, did you ever think of this game from this view or from this angle? Or did you notice this, you know, about this game, this subtle... Right. Um, One particular you know, aspect of what happened right. in this game, let's focus on that and highlight it for the player who may have experienced the same thing and now would love an outlet to discuss that or or to hear discourse on that. Right. And and I think uh, there's there's also a room for personal interaction with the game too. As much as you want to say, hey, here's something you probably noticed. It, there's also something very deeply personal about your interaction with the game. When I think about that, I think about um, Tyler Cameron, who used to write for GamerNode. He writes for XBLA fans now. Um, he wrote about uh, Bastion, and it was essentially a review of Bastion. Um, through the lens of someone who is going through a divorce and how some of the themes in that game of loss and separation and betrayal, how some of those made him feel while he was playing the game because of his obviously very unique situation. Uh, Not that he's the only one getting divorced, but in, in the sense that that was very, very personal to him. And I think that can speak volumes too, even if it's not relatable, it's not, uh, you know, if I'm not going through divorce, I can still read that and be like, wow, this is like a really fascinating take on a game, and it really opens up my eyes to new possibilities for this medium. Another thing that I like to see in reviews, coming off of the, the personal experience and bringing something from your own life to the game and then back away from it, is the way a game connects to the world that I live in and the things that I do on a daily basis there's a very, very brief review coming up on GamerNode about an iPhone game app that talks about what that means for 
a person listening to music, what what it does to the way a person listens to music, which is something that we do every day on a regular basis. And I, I like to think about things like that while I'm playing a game, and I like to see, if I haven't played a game, how it could connect also to various aspects of life. Because, I mean, although we are very much entrenched in video games and video game culture, we also have a, a very big world out there that we exist in from you know moment to moment every day that I would like to see games connected to more than they are. Uh, essentially, what we've seen in the past, in my opinion, is a lot of, okay, there's the real world, and now over here in this box are your game worlds. And there needs to be some sort of bleeding together of those two things between what we're saying about games and what we're saying about our lives. Uh, and that that's, to me, one of the most interesting ways to to put a review together. And yeah, uh, I aim for us to do that more. Right. And, and I think that's not to say that a fantasy video game world cannot also be about the real world. Um, right, and, and I right. think that that might be a, a misunderstanding. Is if you look at a game like uh, Skyward Sword, and it's talking about technology and the relationship that technology has to people, especially in the form of video games, which is uh, a very artful um, technology form, and and but it's also sort of a barrier between the person and the art. So right. I, I I think that a fantasy realm and and a video game that's very outside the the scope of your normal activities is almost a better way to talk about um, sort of these extreme ideas, not necessarily extreme ideas, but a better way to talk about um, these ideas and culture uh, because it's interactive. It's different right. from, and, and that's what makes it different from a painting or a movie is that you're able to get your hands on it and influence the game yourself. Um, and that, I mean, that's like a whole nother five hours of discussion, yeah. Ludo narrative and everything, but you know, suffice it to say, I I think that that's really where a lot of the meat and the juice of these these reviews coming up is going to come from. Is what about interactivity makes games special or makes a particular game special? Yeah, much like a lot of things, um, video games are in a good position to reveal things about us and about our world and about our lives that you may not see from within, but since you are putting it outside of yourself and outside of your life and looking at it from an outside perspective, it they have the ability to, to make things clear. And I think reviews can also make things clear about what video games are making clear about our lives. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, wow! I just almost followed you there, and then it's just ah, the last clear. <laughs> so wait, wait. All right. So reviews tell Yo. us something about our lives. Yo, <laughs> Yo dog! I heard you like reviews, so I put a review in your reviews. <laughs> You'll rewind at the podcast like... later. Listen to that twice. <laughs> no, I, I, it's essentially, I bet it was really smart. Okay, it's essentially the same as two people in a bad relationship who can't tell that they are, but their friend can. The review right. can be the friend. Okay. I I agree. Yeah, I like that. That's, That's very a... interesting. I agree. 
That's that's a good way of putting it. Well, that's what I said before. Okay. <laughs> well, it, was way, it was way better when you threw a metaphor in there. Come on. When you, when you relate it to friends and and girlfriends, it just it it's easier to understand. <laughs> the real friend is metaphor, is what I said. <laughs> what helps is that if you understand that at least part of your audience is a group of veteran gamers who have played a lot and seen a lot in video games then you can think of it as a way to expose what is new or unique or something that would be interesting that you may not have seen, but also using the experiential approach to make the critique accessible to those who maybe haven't been so entrenched. I get what you're saying. I think the bridge between those two things between this veteran gamer and these gamers who are just coming in because they like games, the bridge is having a voice and being charismatic and having fun. Uh, having, as much as I appreciate a very academic, intellectual, dour-sounding review that's all about, like, this is the meaning of life, and that's, right. what, Pick, that's what Pikmin told me, and, like... <laughs> I get, as much as I appreciate that, like, who cares if it's not fun? And I yeah. think that's that that gets a lost that gets lost a lot of times on the folks who just get really embroiled and down into the the meat and the nitty gritty of trying to figure out what it is that games are saying in in sort of an uh, a ludo narrative in an academic kind of way. Um, and but that's going to be a core principle of GamerNet going forward is how do we not only say something that's meaningful and that has an impact on your life, but do it in such a way that you'll enjoy reading it and you get why it's fun and why games are important as as a pastime and not just as an art form. You know, like like Modern Warfare, for example. I, I know that game is it, it's you know it's it's a great game. It's fun to play on multiplayer, but there definitely are you know the things that go with it that you would expect and I think that uh, that's kind of what we need to focus on and, and, and you know I think that's that's what you guys are saying are, are you saying that we need to point out the repetition I think we need to point out uh, the things that gamers already know but they are just kind of they keep you know accepting it and accepting it. I think it it just is gonna it takes some maybe someone to nudge you and be like, hey, look, you know maybe this isn't what you thought it was. Maybe this isn't as good as you thought it was. Maybe it's it's better than you thought it was, and you just never really noticed it or appreciated it for something more. I I think there's totally room for Modern Warfare Three, and you know jumping out of fifteen exploding helicopters and you know shooting at least. 60 Russian prime ministers and do you know doing all of that like <laughs> high action like really mindless uh kind of modern warfare stuff that you that's all over the place and that's making big bucks I think there's totally room for that and I I don't I don't think it's a bad thing that that's still going on even if it's repetitious because I love movies like Die Hard and I love right. watching right I, but I, I mean, mean I'm a, I'm also sort of a weird one. I also like Steven Seagal movies, so maybe that's... Yeah, and I think 
the reason we like it is because we know what we're expecting. And I think that's kind of what we're missing from video games. I think once people start accepting what a, you know what a game like Modern Warfare 3 is or, or what Gears of War is, then they'll be like, okay, now let's take it up a notch. Let's, let's go somewhere else with this. Let's try to do something more with this now. Sometimes what it comes down to in these cases with games that have you doing all the same things that you're used to, you know, yeah, I, I did all these stereotypical gamey things that happen in action movies and, and action video games and, or whatever other kind of video game. But you know what? It was thrilling. I loved what I did during the time that I spent with this game. And that has value. That's to, what I'm to my life. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right. Is that is that it's not so much about predictability. It's not so much about ah oh, man, this sucks because it's the same thing as Modern Warfare Two, Modern Warfare One, which it is. It's just sort of in different contexts, right? But it's it's about that feeling. It's about how much fun that game is. It's about how exciting it is, even if there's not like a really complicated, like really nuanced skill based system to dying as you're crawling out of a helicopter, it's it's still like a really fascinating scene. Um, so it doesn't capture what makes games great, right? It doesn't capture the, the pinnacle of interactivity in that sense, but it, it still makes you feel a certain way, and I think that's what's meaningful, which is... It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's that's what Eddie was going for as well. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, what's the what is the value of the game to me? But at the same time... <laughs> You know, I can I can argue back and forth either way. At the same time, while we're having so many things said about games in in the larger pool of video game critique, um, also what is the value of highlighting something different? Because maybe we already right. know that 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 those games hold those things and that they are enjoyable in that way. But what else does this particular entry into action game franchise X do differently or wh- what can it point out uh, for a gamer that is maybe better or more important to my gaming existence. <laughs> right. I don't think that there are any shortage of developers who are trying to do something really unique and different. And that's why I, I'm okay with a game like Modern Warfare 3 not trying to push the envelope in terms of what games can do. And, you know, just sort of content to do the same thing and do it well. High production value, that sort of thing. There are a ton of, especially indie developers, people making downloadable games, who are doing really innovative, interesting stuff all the time. A lot of it goes under the radar, of course. You know, I don't see all of it. A lot of, you know, gamers who are just playing Modern Warfare 3 won't see all of that. But I, I don't think that there is a lack of um, knowledge and interest and, and intrigue in the development world. I think it's underplayed, and I think one of the things that GamerNode can be a big champion for with our reviews is, is for these really interesting um, new, maybe younger, smaller developers. And coming up in the next week or so, we'll have an interview with Sheldon Picotti, uh, who's a, an indie developer... Um, I talked to him real briefly the other day about his new game. It's called Cell Emergence, and it's it's kind of like Trauma Center meets R-Type meets a real-time strategy game. Super interesting. Yeah, I know. Super interesting stuff, um, and, and a fascinating guy to talk to. He was the lead writer on the first Days X, 
and on day oh, wow. too. So he's just like mad knowledgeable and he's got like all this experience under his belt and he's decided no like the big shops aren't where I want to go. I want to go to my computer by myself and make a game because I think that's what's interesting. Um and I think that will compel a lot of uh a lot of folks who can read or or, or listen to that interview that will that will compel that sort of interest in them. Speaking of indie games in particular, I think that's another problem with the way games critique actually works or or games journalism uh, as a greater whole because while you have all the indie games that are trying to get out there and say big things in, in a very small package, you have these outlets who are not talking about these small games saying big things because they're tied into this cycle of getting the blockbuster and right. providing the coverage there because that will help get more from the publishers and it's back to that whole business cycle. Whereas you have these small games. Um, I actually have an example that we're going to review at Game Renode um, called Where Is My Heart? And it's about these monsters that go on a journey after they lose their home. And it's it's based on an experience where he went on a hike with his mom and dad and they got lost. And when confronted with this situation, it revealed uh, aspects of their characters that they also needed to um, surmount as obstacles on this journey. So there are games that are saying things different like that and and speaking about human experience that we're overlooking while simultaneously championing the ideas that they're presenting you know just the the approach to games as art the industry tends to champion that but then not follow through on the uh, exposition of the games that exemplify exactly what we're saying about the right. medium. Right. So when you have games like this, it's important to talk about them, and that's uh, just going back to another problem with, with the critical process in, in games, the games industry, essentially. Certainly, uh, and, and the coverage can translate into sales, especially for the smaller uh, games. So I, I, I agree. I think I think most games journalists have a real desire to support indie developers and get that that's like an important thing for going forward in our industry. But uh, yeah, I think in practice it sort of gets swept under the rug, which is really unfortunate. I just wonder, I mean, personally, I just wonder if it's, if it's the industry guiding the gamers or if it's the gamers guiding the industry. Cause I can tell you guys that I would never get a call from one of my buddies and they'd be like, yo, man, come on over. Let's play some Journey tonight. You know, like that's unless you were friends with me. And unless me. I was friends with you. Guys, <laughs> I, I hope one day we can be friends. <laughs> 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 um, oh, but I think, I mean, you know, generalizing, I think that the games that um, – the average gamer goes for are the ones that are uh, more about like what their friends are playing. You know, like your friend, everyone's getting, you know, this game. So you want to get this game. And I think like what we're saying, it's, it's just that are, are we the ones that 
are you know making the reviewers go for the big industry, or are we the one or the big industry the ones that make us you know go for those games? I think it's it's an interesting question to to present, and I, I don't know. I well, in that case, though, you know, as a as a response to that, sure, we can or critics can provide the coverage of the games that people are playing a lot of, but that doesn't mean that you can't reach out to a broader spectrum of the content available and make it known that these things are available and also make available your response to them. Let me distill this down for you. So to everyone listening, I just cut out a big chunk of me rambling about a topic. Now I'm going to distill it down. <laughs> Sorry. I just think, I think it's funny. I'm, I'm breaking the fourth wall. This happens in video games, too. Um, <laughs> See, it's all, it's all inclusive. That's, <laughs> everything means something. So it comes back to the way that we represent the industry as a critical publication. We're only sampling a lot of the time the top tier games and that reflects in our in the negative skew that the industry has shown over the past however many years so by taking a wider sample of games that's also reflected in the way our scores are presented and it just kind of ties into the restructuring of our critical process and uh, maybe having better perspective or wider perspective on what video games are. Video games are not just Uncharted, Gears of War, Assassin's Creed, Big Game X, Big Game Y, Big Game Z, Skyrim, etc. They're all those games, plus a whole bunch of really crappy games, plus (laughs) a whole bunch of games that are made by indie developers that have a lot to say about personal experience and are represented in an artistic way, and it's also a lot of children's games, and it's also a lot, you know, there's there's so many types of games that we need to talk about all of them at least a little bit. Right. I mean, you'll well, see... Oh, go ahead, Dan. Okay, well, two quick stories okay. to insert here, and I all right. trust, trust me, they're totally relevant. Okay. <laughs> so the first one, I was uh, maybe a year ago, I was looking through sales stats. This is me being really awesome. I'm looking through sales stats for video games, uh, I think for an article I was writing. And within the top, I want to say 15, uh, the highest sales in the world for games. (laughs) Close. Kung Fu Panda for the Wii. Kung Fu Panda. Right, which I, I I can't imagine that any of the big outlets... Maybe like maybe one or two of them, but like most folks did not have a review for that game, right? This like <laughs> nobody's gonna want to read that review. It's like, I mean, hey, did, you did, did your panda <laughs> and this Jack Black does the voice. He's really silly. <laughs> uh, Gamernode did have a review for Kung Fu Panda. Did we? Oh, there we go. There you go. Positive, and that's why it was such. It sold millions of copies. That's the crazy thing. So that's one like. You know, we're pretty out of touch with, like, what's big when you think about it. <laughs> like, if yeah. that's, you know, second thing. So, um, you know, I was talking to someone uh, at my church one time, and they were they knew that I wrote about games, which usually I just try to avoid that conversation with people <laughs> at church. But 
they happened to bring it up, and so I was like, yeah, write about games. I think it's really interesting, and there's, like, really all these wonderful, like, intellectual things that you could say about it. You know, I was an English major, so I like to talk about thematics and, and about, you know, character development and how this... And then she's like, you know what? My son plays Dungeons and Dragons, and I don't care for that. And I was like, you know what? You don't get what I'm doing. I don't care for this. <laughs> <laughs> don't... But that's, I feel like that's not a really rare response. It's like, oh, man, you play video games? You probably love orcs and elves and stuff. Like, yeah, okay, I do love orcs and elves and stuff, but that's, like, not what this is about. Like, this is about something bigger. It's about something yeah, I mean, uh, that, and... that's much more impactful. And if you look at at, at least our generation, uh, a pastime that consumes, I would venture to say, a tenth of our time. The, wait, what, what consumes a tenth of our time? Uh, video video games, games in general? Yeah, video games in general. Or yeah. or, or elves. elves <laughs> I was, yeah, I, was, I don't know if you meant like orcs and elves or only. For all the LARPers. Well, see, elves, elves encompass a tenth of the time that is a tenth of the time that we spend <laughs> in video games. Like, no, you don't understand. There's wood elves and there's dark elves. You don't there's know. There's dark elves and there's, you know. You're not even there are actually about... ten races of elves, so each type encompasses a tenth of the tenth <laughs> of the tenth of our lives. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it doesn't that just sort of... For me, it put it in perspective. Like, I'm really out of touch with with the consumer... Like, you know, the average consumer who is supporting this industry, who, in fact, is are the folks who are going to be reading from our site. I feel like that's the the base level we're starting from. And right. that's, frust- that's frustrating to me. I think that there's a lot more to be done there. Yeah, and I think I think that you know, uh, we talk about how we want to make games more so about the intellectual aspects, and I think that is such a uh, um, an uphill battle because g- video games are already assumed to be childish or immature or dangerous, or you know, there there are a lot of people out there that um, believe you know you have the whole the old argument that video games lead to violence in real life, and I think that presenting them in a way that uh, shows, you know, the the academic or the the uh, the more um, analytic side of games being just being more not mature. I don't want to I want to say mature because I don't want to say that, you know, game fans aren't mature, but I just think that bringing the conversation down an avenue that it has yet to be go- has yet to go down i think that is what i i want to do personally i think that's what you know that's what gamer node is trying to do now and i'm just saying i want to be a college professor of video game art and stuff like that, <laughs> that, right. that well, it, it's interesting that you say that um because i had a professor in college that didn't teach a course on it but um mentioned in in relation to actually a, a work of William Shakespeare, uh, Fallout 3. They had played Fallout 3, and they were talking about uh, the choice whether or not to blow up or or to leave or to save Megaton. And right. that was I, – I have no idea how that related to Shakespeare. But at the time, it totally did, and they brought that <laughs> in. And I was like, yeah, what's up, video games? You're in the – Schools now, yeah. Yeah. And it, <laughs> that was that. That was my moment of triumph, and then I sequestered myself. And then you decided to go uh, write about video games in a more intelligent way. That is exactly what happened. And far-reaching, worldly, sort of culturally advanced 
way. Yep. Man, have we have we rung this sponge yet? Yeah, yep. I think I think the sponge is rung, actually. Um, but there's a lot to be said about the critical process, and every, a lot of people are saying it, and we're seeing change in the industry, even if it's baby step by baby step. But the good thing, the important thing, and the really exciting thing is that GamerNode is going to be, uh, hopefully. <laughs> What we aim to do is be leaders in this charge towards something a little bit more meaningful than gameplay, good, bad, <laughs> graphics, good, bad. So, we're going to stop talking about it and uh, get back to actually playing games and saying what we have to say about them so you can read it. So, I guess that's <laughs> that's the goal, is to get these things written and uh, say something about the medium that you want to read. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, I'm Insight. super pumped about the new Gamer Node, and I really hope everyone joins us there. It's going to be really just just stupid smart is what it's going to be. It's just going to be so smart and a lot of fun, and I hope to see you guys on the Internet. Stupid smart and fun is what stupid, we aim for. Fun. Um, and thank you, Greg. Thank great you, guys. First time. Yeah. But hey, also, I don't know if we can include this on the podcast itself. Mad shout-outs to uh, Editor-in-Chief Eddie Anzato for, for making the switch over to the new Gamer Node happen and for really pioneering this new vision and, and this new uh, direction for Gamer Node. Mad snaps and, and whatever. Internet, uh, I don't know. Anti-trolls? What, what, are, what are good things on the Internet? Plus ones. Likes, plus ones. Lots of uh, likes. Posts. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, thanks to everyone who's listening. Uh, keep listening and keep reading Gamer Note. We're going to be doing it for a while. And a lot. So we'll see you later. <laughs> Peace. Later. It is drawn, the curse it is cast The slow one now will later be fast As the present now will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now will later be last For the times they are a-changing